have we been going through? Yeah, it was on the board. You erased it. I did. Well. It was Joshua. Joshua, okay. What can you tell me about Joshua? <laughs> Are you okay? Um, they marched around the walls of Jericho. Well, first, he was Abraham. No. Moses. The was mute guy? Well, he wasn't really no, mute. Meek. Oh, meek guy. <laughs> Wait, it wasn't Abraham. Okay, it so what about Joshua and Moses? Moses? Oh, Moses. I'd say I was thinking about this today because apprentice isn't really the best word for it. It's more like mentee or protege isn't really a good word for it either. Is it like Kind of, but I think the best way to describe it was Joshua was like Moses's shadow. He just was. But yes, but but Josh Moses never said, "Okay, today Joshua, you're going to deal with all the complaining people." You know, that's more what you would do with the apprentice. Is slowly you have them do think more and more stuff until they're doing the same things you are. But Joshua never did anything like that. He was just there and just watching. I'm sure that Moses talked to him about things, but it wasn't like, um, it was a different kind of thing. That's why I say it's not the perfect way, but I think a shadow, his shadow where he followed him around. There were very few times where Joshua wasn't invited to go with Moses. So he was there many times when God was speaking to just Moses, and Joshua was the only other person there observing that. So what was that preparing him for then? Moses' death. Okay, Moses died, but what is, what is Joshua's big job that God has for him? Okay. Promised Land, PL. Okay, so I'm going to draw our map because it's going to matter for this week. Wait a minute. I need it bigger than normal, so. Okay. Whoa. That's a bunch Yes! We should do that. Do what? Okay. Get a bunch of maps and hang them all. Yeah, that actually be a very That's the Jordan River. That's the soup gallery. Why not just have a gigantic globe just sitting right next to the board? And not one of those, not one of those stuff globes that actually have the liquor in them. Some people mistake them for real. What is that? Yes, so this is what river? And I think that the Garden of Eden might have been over there because it talks about the Euphrates River. It does, but a quick side thing. So let's think about that. Use a little critical thinking. What happened the next big thing after Adam and Eve in the garden? Just think about it in your mind. Oh! What's the next they, big thing? The next big story? The flood. Oh. Okay, and what do you know about what the flood did? Killed a lot. Yes. What did it do to the landscape of the earth? It made it cold. It froze it. 
Yes, so the water came from the sky and... And the oceans, they're like... Not really the ocean. Okay, you have, you have the world. Yes. And there's a couple ideas. Okay, so right, you've got your molten core, right? And then all the other... Well, there is an idea based off of what the Bible says, because it says specifically the waters of the deep broke open. So either there were pockets of water under the crust and then it broke open, mm-hmm. or there is just was a whole layer of water underneath that then comes up and things then sink, sink down, which creates the continents. Because you look and all the plates that shift and things. So this that's a theory. So it's a pretty good theory too. Just logically makes sense if you believe the Bible. So if that happened, do you think that the same rivers that were there pre-flood were there after the flood? I mean, not necessarily. They could have been. They could have been. Maybe they also could have not. Right, so let's think about like the Grand Canyon. Mm-hmm. Probably not even there pre flood. Because if you look at it from a creationist point of view, that you believe God created the world and that there was a flood, it was all created within like a couple months, the Grand Canyon, from water rushing through and cutting the layers. So that's a big, huge area of water. It's very likely that there was no, that this is not the same Euphrates River and that people remembered a Euphrates River before the flood. And this, because this is near in the area where they first started to create civilization, civilization after the flood again, that they said, oh, this is another big river that reminds us of the first Euphrates River, we name it the Euphrates River. Right? How about New York? What's it named after? York. York um, in England. Yeah, York. How about, New Amsterdam. well, yeah, New Amsterdam, which became New York City, but it was New Amsterdam named after Amsterdam in Holland. Lots of things like or that. New Jersey. Yeah, New Mexico. (laughs) Right. So we like to reuse names. It just happens. So that's a little side story about Euphrates River. Okay, what's this sea? The Dead Sea. Red Sea. Oh, oh. I know Dead Sea. I thought that was the Red Sea. I tricked you. I usually start over here. And this is Egypt, right? Yes. Because that's where they started with Moses. They came across on dry land across the Red Sea, they go down into the Sinai Peninsula, and then they come up here. <clears throat> to the Jordan River. Sea of Galilee. Which it wasn't called that then. This is one we never put on the map. Because I think this might be one of... It's right here. Nope, there's another one above it. A little one. Okay, yep, you probably have that. And then there's another name for it that's an even earlier name that we will get to tonight, which is... Hold on. I make sure I spell it right. No. Marum. M-E-R-O-N. Okay. Um, So he leads the Israelites right to the promised land. And um, they have, when they get there, what does God do? The very, very first thing that he does when Joshua takes over.
Uh, I'm trying to think if they did that at this point. You're closer, you're on the right line. Nope, I don't think it's not at this point yet. The first week, what we first talked about. I just noticed something. All the mountains on the map say Mount something, and then one of them says Jerbil Jarmar. Oh, he said, um. What's our theme verse? Oh, be strong and have a good courage. Somebody read chapter 1, verse 9. Have I not commanded thee, be strong and of good courage? Be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed. For the Lord thy God is with thee, whithersoever thou goest. Okay, what did we say be strong and of a good courage mean? Well, there's a bunch of names we came up with. Okay, do you remember any of them? No, because I was gone for a while. Okay. Do you remember, Natalia? What's it mean to be strong? Sorry. <laughs> the be strong in the Lord. Yep. Eve listens to it every night when she goes to bed. Um, well, how about this? Since we, I think everybody's watched it now. Watched what? Encanto. <gasps> Luisa. Yes. How is Luisa strong? Because the magic gave it to her. Like it's a magic power, just as much as that miracle is actually an extension of the candle. Physically. Physically. Okay, that's the obvious one, right? She did at one point, but what is her whole song about? About the pressure of that she feels of trying to support and take care of everything for the family, right? Okay, so she has to have another kind of strength, right? Or she's trying to have emotional strength. Yes, but she can't really take it. She just wish all the pressure go because of her Yes. Okay, but. I just said that to prove, to illustrate, right, that there are more than one kind of strength, right? Yes. We think of the physical strength, which they have to do when they enter the promised land. Why? Why do they have to have physical strength? To defend it. Because there were giants. There were giants. Um, not to defend it, but what's the opposite, Felicia? Attack. Attack, right? They are attacking. So they are actually going to be at war. So how else do they have to be strong, though? What is the key to them in being successful as they enter the promised land? They have to um, follow what God tells them to and not what they think that they should do. Okay, and that would require what kind of a strength? Yes, a spiritual strength. I know what they have to do. They have to be strong and have a good courage. And what about courage? Do you remember? Don't be a cowardly lion. Okay. What did you say? The I last say, part. I remember one that we also came up with that was, there's nothing to fear but fear itself. He did say that. Um, fear, you're on the right lines with fear. What do you have to do when you're afraid? Pray. Okay. That's a good start. Is that enough? Nope. Okay, what do you have to do? Trust God. Ask him to protect you. Okay. And then what? Stand your ground or something like that. 
Just in general. Do what he says. Yes, that's good, but let's put more emphasis on the do. You have to take action still. Courage, no one, dis, you never describe somebody as courageous by just sitting there and doing nothing, right? That's lazy. You have to face the fear, right? You have to, it's doing something despite being afraid of it. It's how you act despite having the fear. Okay, so that's good. So God is telling them that because it's going to be challenging. They are going to be at war. They're battling. And it's a physical battle and it's a spiritual battle. Why is it a spiritual battle? Heaven versus hell. God versus the devil. It's not God versus the devil, though. For them, why is it spiritual? Oh, why are they getting the promised land? Because God promised it to them. Okay, that's a yep. At a very basic level, that is true. But why that land? Okay, yes, that's good, because Abraham had a covenant with God, just like they now have a covenant that if they follow what God says, that they are, that his promise that he is going to help them to win the Canaan, the promised land, that he will uphold his end. But why is it, why, what about this land why do they have to take it? Why are these people going to lose the land? Because they're sinners. Yes. We're all Tell me more about that, war. though. And they, God gave them many chances, and they just refused to let them, to let them in their life. Okay. That is true. Why, why are they so bad that God says, I want you to kill all of them? What is so terrible about them? Because everybody's sinned, right? What's so bad about them? They keep sinning. Always, and they never stop. Yes. Okay, so that's all that they think about is, is evil things, right? Think of Sodom and Gomorrah. But it's more than that. Are there some things that God really doesn't like? Have you, you guys know any... You, are you familiar with the seven things that the Lord hates? Are there six yeah. things, even seven? The seven deadly sins? Nope, that's a different thing. That's all I can think of. Lust. We talked about lust with Levi. Okay. Um, I don't remember if that's one of them. But one of them is murder. Okay. So these Canaanites, what kind do they serve? God, like Jehovah God? Hmm? You know Jehovah? You don't know who Jehovah? Jehovah is... I think I sang about him in choir, but... <laughs> yes, that is God's name in oh. Hebrew. Yep. I didn't know that. It's okay. I know it had something to do with the Bible. Did they do like human... Yes, they do human sacrifices and more than just human. Babies. Yes, they sacrifice babies. Okay, so that is why the promised land is being taken from them. Not that it was promised to them in the first place, but God doesn't do anything without purpose. Okay, there's, there's usually one, more than one thing going on than just that this land is going to be the Israelites. There's a flip side to that too. So, um, so as they now enter the actually go into the promised land, what is important about how they do that? 
because right they're going to Jericho. They do that. What else? What's that's a little small little part. What's important about how they enter the promised land and how they take Jericho? No violence. Oh, there's violence. They kill, they kill everybody in the city. <laughs> there's no this the the book of Joshua is a very violent book. Oh. Very violent. Uh, they, yeah, they are killing millions of people. Okay. But what about how they first start when they first enter the promised land, the first city that they take, the first spoils of war that they take? What is important about how that's done? They have to only take what God said, and it has to be for God. Okay. What is, what's the key about all that you just said? A key. No, what was the key point or the key? Okay, God's the key part, but. Oh, what God said, like something like that. Yes. Who was in front of them when they crossed the Jordan River? The priests. With? The Ark. The Ark of the Covenant. And God was on it on the little angel wing seat. On the mercy seat, right? The mercy seat, yeah. That's in the. Right, at that moment, he wouldn't have been, but he represents, Gideon's right, he's not sitting on it all the time, right, the presence. I thought that she was, I thought she was, no, I, that's not, I know, I thought she said that the mercy seat was on the Ark of the Covenant. It is. Yes. I thought it was in the. Holy of Holies? It is. That's where the ark sits. It's in the Holy of Holies. Yes. That's okay. So the ark, though, is going because God is leading them, right? That's who and whose plan are they following? God's plan. All right, good. Because what did we talk about with sevens? Seven is God's favorite number. No. It is. It's not. Right. But there's always seven things. Yes. Okay. How many? How many? Um. How many parts are there of the Trinity? Three. There's not seven, is there? There's not. Oh, I was gonna say. So it's not like this. Oh my gosh, there. It's not seven. It's not perfect. It's not complete. It's more of that. This is just a symbol. They don't always use, he doesn't always use seven for everything that's ever perfect, but he uses seven sometimes to make a point. This is my perfect plan for you to follow. Okay, good. Now, did they follow that though? No. What happened? Yes, he stole a Babylonian garment that he wanted to wear but couldn't wear because everyone would know, right? Under his tent. He dug a hole in the ground and put it in the ground and then because he felt guilty. Another story why he did that? Oh, because he wanted it. It's a good point, but there are plenty of things that we want that are not even useful to us sometimes. I mean, even. Think of like even when you, as a child or you watch a child that just wants something for no reason other than they want it, right? Like a baby towards a lollipop. And throw a fit even though they, what are they even going to do with it, right? Can't do anything. The baby will hurt so mouth we, and on the lollipop. Right. So we do that with other stuff plenty of times even... You do it now, you'll do it as an adult, where there's something, you just want it, but there's not even really, not a good reason even to have it. You don't even have a purpose for it, but you want it. And, well, he also took gold and silver, you know, those are useful to anybody, right? Because you can buy stuff with it. And <clears throat> how do they deal with that sin then? 
They do. The whole family is holding. Yes. But they make them go in a line and then they're like this time. Right. Nobody knew who it was. Only God did. And that's how God gave him opportunities to repent. So think of that. That's another parallel to the Canaanites that have had opportunity again and again and again. And at some point, God says, that's your last opportunity. Okay. Why did they, why stone them? Why kill his whole family? Because that's how they did things back then. By families. Okay. Think of it as a more um, universal idea. Something that can be applied to your life. Why deal with the sin like that? Yeah, I mean that it had a that was a good effect that it had. But what if what if Joshua? Because Joshua is the one who who chose how they dealt with him. Right? It doesn't say that God told him to kill them. It just says Joshua had them take him out and stone him. So what if Joshua is just like, don't worry, Achan, not a big deal. You can keep the gold. Do you think? Do you think Aiken might next time they're supposed to keep stuff oh. only for God? That he's going to follow that rule? I don't understand why they did the whole family though. Yeah, wait. I asked and you said they do it by family, so I was confused. I don't have a good answer for you why. To teach, like, the, to teach everyone a lesson, like, you do this, this is what happens. Because some people might not care what happens to them, but they care about their family. So it's like, you did this, this happens to your family, and you. Could be. But, so, back to, because I will get, this will shed a little bit more light on that. Why not just, you know, give them a slap on the wrist? You always end with the, the bloodline is what people no, no, no. You're focusing on the details too much. <laughs> That's what someone said when I was laughing. How are you going to learn if you don't get punished? Okay. I want you to think then about yourself. If there is something that you, that you don't like, but you keep doing it over and over, and you're just like, well, I'll just do it a little less this time. Or... I'll do it one more time and then I won't do it next time. Are you gonna are you gonna probably is will this probably be the last time then? No. Probably not, right? You Stop. Get some help. God oftentimes with things chooses something very severe to make sure that that's it. That's the end of it. Cutting it off or not doing that. So, I say that to, with your question about the whole family. And the, it's still, it's not a satisfying reason or answer, but it definitely adds to the severity. And... You can look through the rest of it. They didn't have that problem again. That's all I can say. I can't, there aren't always answers for everything. Okay. But it's good to remember for yourself, especially with things that can be addicting that there isn't a way to slowly ease off of it or to say, uh, I'll just, this time won't matter. Next time will be the time that I am done. There, there are things that have to be dealt with strongly. Okay, we can't linger too much longer on that. Um, what about, so after that, 
issue with Aiken and they fix it and then they win the battle that they lost, right? With AI. Who do they meet next that comes to visit them? Oh, oh, I know. Those guys. They pretended that they came from really far away, but they actually didn't. Um, and the Gideonites, I think. Was it the Gideonites? No. Nope. Gibeonites, yep. <laughs> there was no Gideon yet, so. Not yet. If there was, that would be like Nope. So, who were they really, though? They were scared that they were going to come and <laughs> Yes, they were scared. So. Where were they from? Uh, a town in the Promised Land. Yep, they're from like. Over here. Yeah. The Israelites are hanging out over here in uh, Gilgal. So they got some moldy bread, some worn yep. clothes and shoes. And they're like, we came from like seven months of a journey. Right. So, and what did you learn about with that? Because I, I don't know. I, there wasn't anything to listen to, so you have to tell me. What can you learn from that? Joshua ended up making an alliance with the Gideonites. Okay. Was he supposed to do that? He was not. Because he was, Joshua's called to destroy all the cities around him. Well, what did he think? He thought that they were from way far away, but they... They were only from, they were like neighbors. So. So, Joshua was supposed to kill him and wipe him out. But then there was, like, he found out. Yeah. And then there he was. He didn't. No. And then there was. He made them slaves. Yeah. Yep, they're wood slaves, right? Yeah. They had to cut wood for them. And then they went out and the Gibeonites got into a war and because of the like alliance, Joshua had to go fight with them because you have to honor the alliances and then God created or God made it so um, they wiped everybody out and it was in the favor of Joshua and the Israelites. Oh and God stopped the sun. Yeah. For twenty Three hours and something, twenty-something minutes, and and even it proves science because they there's like goes all the way back to the long ago, and then there's twenty-three hours that aren't they're like just missing. Okay. And do you talk about the hailstones too? Yes. They were just the rocks. walking through a hailstorm, and all the hills were like killing everybody else. But it just didn't right. hit them. Crazy, huh? Okay. Anything else to add from last week? Okay. Chapter 11. We're going to pick it up now. <clears throat> Verse 1 through 5. We're going to read. When King, are you in chapter eleven? Yeah. Verse one. Yeah. Okay. I have a different translation. That's fine. When King Jabin, Jabin, yeah, Jabin, Hazard heard what had happened, he sent messages to the following kings: King Joab of Madon, the King of Shimron, the King of. Akshaf. King of Akshaf. And to the king that were on the north of the mountains and of the plains south of Kinnath, and in the valley and in the borders of Dor on the west. And 
into the Canaanite on the east and on the west, into the Amorite and the Hittite and the Perizzite and the Jebusite in the mountains, and to the Hivite and under Hermon in the land of Mizpah. And they went out, and they and all their hosts with them, much people, even as the sand that is upon the seashore in multitude, the horses and chariots very many. And when all these kings were met together, they came and pitched together at the waters of Merol. Is that right? Yep, that's good. To fight against Israel. Oh, Merol, right? Did we talk about that? Okay, so get used to it because there are lots of big weird names this week. Lots of them. <laughs> you guys did good though. So, alright. The Israelites have just finished crushing the five kings, right? That teamed up against them. And they did that with a real God's help, right? That stopped time, crushed them with giant hailstones from the sky. Which, I don't know. I don't know how big they really were, but I'm picturing like... Baseball-sized. Oh, no. I am I was picturing like this big, like a car. I was like picturing like the fairy parents like when I was little. Hailstorm the size of a minivan and all that. Yeah, exactly. Even if they were just... It doesn't matter, but... Right. But all the other kings then... Even after that, right? If you heard about that. Oh, no. That's probably like the most terrifying thing yet. I mean, other than stopping the waters of the Jordan River. That's pretty wild, too. Even after that, all these kings that are up here, there's a city called Hazor, right? That's where that first king was king of. And then there's a place, Mount Hermon, and up here it's Sidon. Um, oh, this is not, but for reference, have you ever heard of Tyre? Tyre. Uh, is it on Tyre? I've heard of it, but I don't know. That's... It's T-Y-R-E? Yep. Yeah, it's right here on the map. It says it's near Sidon, near... Sidon. Are in the, it's yep. In Veronica. It's a famous city that pops up throughout the Bible, especially as you go Veronica further on. Veronica is like where it's at. Phoenicia? Phoenicia. Yep. <laughs> you hear of Phoenicia before? Nope. Purple garments? No. That's purple. P-H-O-E-N-I-C-I-A. They're a very wealthy city up there, okay? And right next to um, it, it says T-Y-R-E in yep. parentheses. Okay. So, all these kings then get together from this whole area right around here, and even some that are down here in the mountains, and they all of them... They gather in this area, north of the Sea of Galilee. You could even call that area Nazareth. Just doesn't have that name yet. Okay. Yeah. Um, so they are all gathered together, and um, did we get that? Yes. How does it say? How does it number them? How does it measure how many people are gathered together at Mayram? The sand by the sea. Yes, it says there are as many as, we could even say as many that are on, as, as the sands on the Sea of Galilee. Like when God promised. Yeah, who Somebody else was measured that way too, right? Yeah, the people that are down here, right? Yeah. The Israelites. Like the another, like the sand, uh, sand and the beaches and the seas, or 
There down there, they're as many as the sand too. Except what is different about their population demographics? There's many of them. No. Do you know what demographics, does everyone know what demographics are? Demographics are like if we were to figure out the demographics of East Shelby, you would count how many men there are, how many women, how many children. Like how many people live there? Yes, you break it up by age and it could be all sorts of things. You could go crazy. Yes. So what are the demographics of the Israelites, of their sands of the sea? Well, a little bit, yeah, right. They're all about 40 or younger. Does it just count the men or is it everyone? It's everybody put into different groups. Like men and women, right? But what about these guys if they're ready for battle? Who's in their demographic? Probably only men. Yes, yeah. Traditionally, right? So, if there, let's say, let's just call it both a million, even though it might not be that many up here, but there's a lot, right? But if we call it both a million, how many warriors are here and how many warriors are up here? A million up there, because we only count men. And right. down there, it's probably about half, so half a million, because men and women. Or probably less, because children. So, at best case, it's two to one, right? Not the best odds. Does anybody remember? We've talked about before, but what the U.S. Army's rule is for three to one. Yep, you don't fight unless you outnumber them three to one. Or you have something like a tank versus a person, five people, then that's okay. You can go to battle because you have a force multiplier. All right. Now, we haven't talked, that leads us into tech, about technology in an army. And you think of technology now as computers and blah, blah, you know, all that kind of stuff. But technology refers to any kind of advancement. So for them, they have different things. Now, the Israelites are, prime, are pretty much... No, they only are a foot soldier army. But they have God. They do. That's their force multiplier. So, yes, it is. So, but they only have foot soldiers. That's it. Okay? Not, usually not a good strategy for how to build your army. But they have they, they do, right? And they, they have no, the Israelites have no horses, no chariots. They probably have, well... We could say at this point now, they for sure have swords, spears, maybe bows, if they know how to use them with arrows, of course. And if they don't, they probably have clubs or whatever other tool that they could find to, to use. Yep, right, a hammer. Late um, Now... Why do they have swords and spears? Where'd they get those? Yeah, they've been, they've been beating everybody. Part of why they had to needed God, right? For their first city they took over before they had weapons. Then when they took over the city. Right, all right. So, <clears throat> the Canaanites on the other hand up here, what do they have? That we know for sure, besides regular. They have chariots. What do you know about chariots? You sit in them. Well, not necessarily. Or you stand in them. You stand in them. You can just stand on a chair with a sword sticking out with a horse on the reins pulling it, and you can just cut people in the I mean, they speed up your travel. Definitely. I mean, This is my really bad horse. That horse has big calves. Haunch. Haunches? Is that what you'd call it? Yeah, haunches. Something like that. That's a bad cannibal. I mean, haunches is more like good, but... <laughs> I, mean, I mean, I guess that. Yeah. I think... Why do 
then the guy stands in here, and during this time period, um, it might have been just one guy in the chariot because they had very small chariots then. But if they have big chariots, two to three people can fit in with this time. Like when they get them is what I'm saying. And then they have spears. I don't see a chariot being very much used with one person because if, if the horse gets out, then it's just. Well, yes, if you were to let go. That's that's why once you have once you have a driver and then the rider, the rider can use a bow. Right, but you can use a spear with one hand or a sword. So, another thing that was often used with chariots back then was it was just a way to get to a location and then they'd drop guys off that would be riding on the back. To get to get somewhere quickly, and that's the biggest thing: is speed on the battlefield is very important. Because if you can get and surround somebody or get to the backside of a group first and attack them from behind, that's always bad news for them. And not only that, but these are warrior warring cities. There's little cities more than just the ones that we have here. They are all over the place. And they have builders that build uh, armor. They have smiths to make weapons. They have guys who build siege weapons and the chariots. And they have um, they have horse breeders. Siege weapon would be like a catapult or a battering ram or a trebuchet. So like yeah, for knocking down walls or knocking over gates, but you could also call a chariot a siege weapon or not a siege weapon but it's it's something that you have builders that are making it's not the warrior who's making the chariot you have some other guy that that's their job is to make chariots that's much later that's like that's like 1500s no, that's the one that flings it with like a giant sling on the end of a rope. No, that that's like a spoon that fl flings it. It's a. It depends on what you're doing. We can't get into that. I'd love to, but when we're done, we can talk about that. Okay. So, <clears throat> um, the point is though that this is like an amateur army against professional armies that that is their life the israelites have like one fought a couple battles and most of it was just god destroying them for them right so you it's easy for us to overlook and say oh yeah that's right god helped them but remember they are fully relying on god they have to trust in him to have strength and courage to do this because they can't just do it on their own. All right, let's read verse 6 and 9 now of chapter 11. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Do not be afraid of them. By this time tomorrow I will hand them all over to Israel as dead men. Then you must cripple their horses and burn their chariots. So Joshua came in unto the people of the war with him against them by the waters of Moron suddenly, and they fell upon them. And the Lord delivered them into the hand of Israel, who smote them, and seized them unto great Zidion, and unto Nisroboth, Nisroboth, and unto the valley of Mizpah, 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 and they them until they left, uh, left them one remaining. And Joshua did unto them as the Lord bade him, and he housed their horses and burnt their chariots with fire. Okay. Anybody know? Now, I had to look that word up because that, I think this is... It's here and one place, I think, with David in the Bible where that sh word even shows up. Yep, yeah, it's it is howd or how spelled or pronounced H O W. And you know what that is? Name? Close. 
It's a very specific maiming. It's where you cut their hamstring. Oh, like the thing that like or, connects their thighs to like their legs? Yes, so your hamstring, and a lot of times what they'll do, well, your hamstring runs from like your back all the way down your butt, your upper leg, all the way down and wraps around your heel. And oftentimes what they will do if you're hamstringing something or someone is that little like, yeah, that tendon, they'll just snip that. And then, do you know what happens when that gets snipped? You can't, you can't really walk it and like you, detach it yeah, entire You have no control over your leg, like your butt, anything. Like that's all like your ability to go like this or you're that's really a small. huge part of it. You can't do anything. And there is no way to, I mean, maybe there is now, but. Like you could sew it with string now, but you couldn't do anything back then. I don't think that is even necessarily how they, they're like, that's it. It's useless. So you can't do anything with it. So that's a big deal to go through and uh, hamstring all these horses and then they burn all the chariots. Yes. Yeah. They basically, they're like, we crushed you without them. And to prove a point, we're just going to totally destroy them. Yes. Guys, making a point that it doesn't matter who you are, you cannot stand against my people when they are doing the right thing and they are, have courage and, and are strong. Nothing can stand in their way. Because there's no, they should not have won this battle. Should not have, okay? Um, let's go on and read verse 10 through 9 and see what Joshua does next. 10 through 9? I'm sorry, 10 through 20. No, it's Felicia, I think. Yes, but I lost the page. Actually, let's... We're not going to read that because I want to make sure we have enough time to get that. So, that's all right. What Joshua does is he then, after they destroy all the chariots, the horses, all the army, then they go to every town and every city that all these kings had. They go to Sidon, they go to the city in Mount Hermon, Hazor. Well, they destroy Hazor, the king that got everybody together. Completely destroy it, knock all the walls down. But then all the other cities, they go through them, take them, kill everybody inside, as God told them to do. And then they take all the wealth and even the cities to be used later. And that belongs to them. So they instantly have become, as a nation, instantly wealthy, or pretty wealthy. Now, um, <clears throat> even now that they have no armies, the cities don't give up. Not any of them repented. And there's an interesting verse here. Let me find it, because we were going to read it, but... Uh, okay, it was verse 20, and it says, For it was the Lord to harden their hearts, that they should not come against Israel in battle, and that he might destroy them utterly. What's it mean for God to harden someone's heart? Keep them from doing the right thing. No, keep them from doing the wrong no, yeah, Gideon was right to keep, to, I, w I would say to make them not listen to him. Because, right, you want to have a soft heart. You want to be able to be molded, for God to penetrate your heart. That means for your spirit to be able to be molded by him. When he hardens it, think about, what Levi talked about on Sunday can what happens to the seed that falls on the hard ground? It dies. It dies, doesn't grow, gets picked eaten by a bird. Okay? You want a soft heart. Now why would God harden someone's heart? Because 
as a punishment because they never listened to it. Does that sound like something God would do? No, no it's like something more like that the devil would do. Okay. Do you know of anyone else in the Bible who their heart was hardened? Oh, two other major ones. Um, you could say it doesn't. The Bible doesn't say those words, but you could draw that conclusion. He's Pharaoh. His heart was hardened, and Saul. Other Saul, King Saul. Oh, I was like. Now both of these people are people who had many, many, many chances. So listen, this is important. It was, they had a huge role and it was by their choice that they allowed God to harden their heart by them continually rejecting. So the same thing again with the Canaanites. Um, Okay, so then Joshua then turns to a real challenge here. And we're not going to be able to read in chapter 12, but he says, next he says, well, we got all these guys. We took this whole area. This all belongs to us. We even took some of the places down here. But there's this area over here in the mountains where even Jerusalem is in. He said, there's these guys called the Anakims that live there. I think we should go take them next. The only thing is, the Anakims are all giants. Like Goliath? Yeah, and taller. Like, there's a guy who has like a 10 foot long bed, the Bible talks about. That's a lot. That's feet. Like, I'm kind of terrified right now. Are you five foot? Well, and they do. They, and now think of it, they've also built castles and like cities. How big of a stone can a nine foot guy move versus? A five foot guy. A mountain. Like a some, some big stones, Half right? So they go and they do. They they defeat all of them except for a couple. They don't get the ones that are in Gath. Recognize that name? Gath. Yep. Ashad and Gaza. Gaza. No. Yes, but Gath is more. Pertinent later. That's where Goliath is from. All right. He's from. Oh, a Philistine. This is so the Philistines are all in this area right here. Gath is in Philistine. Yes. So. And they win, by the way. They destroy those cities and they beat the giants. Doesn't explain how they do it, but they do. Now. Um, they have been at war for quite a while now. This, we read this quickly, but this takes some time for them to do. And now it's time for them to rest. They're going to have a short season of rest. Not a long one, but if you I point this out because even in your own life, you will find that there are times where you will be running and working hard and doing what God asks you to do. And then there will be times where he gives you time to rest and to rejuvenate, to enjoy things, to relax. And then there will be times where it's a really hard time. And there will be times where it's an easy time. So part of that, them being strong and of good courage, is to get through those things that they're afraid of, that are really hard and to go through them, trusting that there is going to be rest on the other side. And next week we'll get into what they do with the rest, but it's going during that time. Um, But just for an idea of what they accomplished at the end of chapter 13, you'll see verses 9 through 24 is a whole list of every city and every king that they have defeated and killed so far. And there are 31 kings that they've gone through and taken. And they're not done yet. They still have more cities to take. 
So they've accomplished a lot with God's help and God's courage, or the courage that he gives them and the strength that he gives them. And we'll look at more next week. Thank you, guys.